You are Locked On Timberwolves, your daily podcast on the Minnesota Timberwolves, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Welcome, 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 ladies and gentlemen, to another Locked On Wolves podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. As always, your host here, Colt Molesky, bringing you daily Timberwolves content. If you would like the written form of that content, make sure to check out the Locked On Wolves FanRag website to check out the articles there, as well as former podcasts. You can check out the podcasts we've had over the last couple of months. We've had some really great guests, so I encourage you to check those podcasts out. We continue with the stellar line of guests that we've had over the last couple of months by having Jeremy Wu join the show from Sports Illustrated. He covers the NBA, specifically covering the NBA prospects, the NBA draft. He's written several articles over the last couple of weeks on just those topics. Jeremy, thank you so much for joining the show. Yeah, no worries. So March Madness has just concluded. Uh, we have Villanova as the reigning champion for the second time in three years. First of all, I, I just wanted to know, because of the, the upheaval, the ups and downs, before we really jump into the meat of the, the show, I wanted to get just your reaction kind of stepping away from March Madness. We're a day advan- or a day removed from March Madness. Stepping away from it, just your initial reaction to the entire tournament, kind of one thing that you'll probably carry with you when you think about the 2018 March Madness tournament, what would that be? Yeah, I think... Probably the upsets, man, like, just from a pure observational level. I mean, you know, there's a lot of chaos, uh, and it was fun to watch. I mean, you know, from the perspective of scouting, it wasn't the best, you know. you It's funny, like, I uh, I was in Atlanta uh, for the Elite Eight. I was supposed to be there for the Sweet 16. There was a snowstorm, but, like, it's funny. You know, when they announced the bracket, I went on there, and I was like, wow, I mean, I might get Arizona. I might get Texas. Uh you know, like all these, you know, mm-hmm. Bob Bob DeAndre Ayton, like this would be a great regional to attend. And then, of course, you know, nothing ever breaks the way that you want it to. And that's, you know, that's just how it goes, right? But, you know, the chaos was fun. And, you know, above through all of it, you know, Villanova, who I think it was fairly clear from the start of the year they were the best team, you know, still was able to, you know, cut through it. Uh, so it was, I think it was a little bit of everything. A lot of fun. Loyola, Loyola was especially, you know, I'm from Chicago. So it was fun to see those guys kind of rip, rip a run off like that. Absolutely. And uh, very... Very kind of when you think of a, a classic Cinderella story, they had all the pieces. They had the the buzzer beaters. Uh, they had the off the court uh, kind of centerpiece to the team, Sister Jean. There's always seems to be something off the court that people can latch onto outside of the team, as well as just the underdog spirit of the team. Uh, they they shot threes in a couple of those games really well to make the offense exciting. They had some interesting defensive performances. They kind of had it all as an underdog and uh, make it to the Final Four. It was a fun team to watch. Uh, I, I think the biggest surprise for me was that a college team like Villanova was able to sustain three-point shooting that well and stay consistent. Really, if you don't count the Texas Tech game, that was the only game they slipped up. They were dominant from perimeter shooting, which is something you don't see a, a college team really able to sustain or stay consistent at. But not only did they shoot well from outside, they also did a good job of sticking with it. And you saw early on in the turn in the title game against Michigan, uh, they were missing shots, but they stuck with it, and it really panned out for them early in that second half. And so that was really impressive, just seeing those guys able to launch deep shots consistently over and over again throughout the season and continue on into the tournament with that. That was impressive. Yeah, and, you know, I think you can be a three-point shooting team and be streaky. 
but you know, it's another thing entirely when you've got like you know seven or eight guys who can really shoot, right? Mm-hmm. And I think that's sort of the difference with them is it's like all their guys can shoot, so it's like even if you, know, you catch them on a bad day, you still you know, it's hard to stop everyone. I'm like I think Divincenzo obviously was out of his mind last night, uh, but it's sort of a good embodiment of that. Um, you know, and the other thing I loved about that team is just, you know they're, they're so bought in. You know, they all play defense. It's like you know it's harder than you would think to find team at any level where you know all the best seven or eight guys are all really you know competing on defense you know managed to be uh, a plus on that end uh you know i think ultimately that sort of to me was what blew me away the most is just like the overall team commitment to you know what they need to get done all year and how perfect to have the title game kind of dominated in a in a year where like you're saying upsets were the reigning theme of march madness how perfect was it to have the sixth man, the three-star recruit off the bench, uh, Dante DiVincenzo, score 31 points in the Villanova victory? It just seemed like the perfect cap for this season of uh, of the tournament. Mm-hmm, totally, yeah. It was a nice surprise. I mean, you know, he's been really good all year, and I think that it's interesting. He's going to be – it's going to be an interesting platform for him. You know, he uh, you know, might be able to just – you know, I mean, I, I would expect – if he tests, I don't know if he's going to test, but if he does test, uh, you know, he's going to have NBA interests. Uh, you know, he's a, a guy who I think most people viewed as a player for next year's draft. Like, you know, he comes back, he's the guy next year, he goes. Because he had, he had a medical red shirt as a freshman, so really he, you know, he was in Jalen Brunson's recruiting class. So really he is the age of a junior, right? Mm-hmm. So, you know, I think he should test. Uh, you know, if he comes back, he'll be a star. But I don't know. In terms of his draft stock, it might not get much higher than right now because yeah, you know, the guys who saw him all year, you know, I think there's a lot to like about him as, as a prospect uh, in you know what he was doing in his role. And then you probably have you know a chunk of people around the league who are really only getting to know him off this one game. They're like, who's that guy? Because you know, that's the reality of it. Is it's like not especially with the top decision makers. You know, every team is different, but not every. Not every guy is able to get to every game, and you know a lot of times there's some bias. It's just sort of how mm-hmm. every year you know the draft works. So you know I, I wouldn't discount that for his situation as a, a player who could uh, end up getting picked in the first, you know, first forty picks of the first round. No, and I I think it's a very valuable team to look at just because there's so many guys who can like if you look not even at him but like a, a Bridges who can play defense as well as shoot so well from outside and play such uh such significant offensive roles uh they're one of those teams where if you really dig into scouting the the roster the defensive prospects are almost as intriguing as what they can do on the offense but it's just so easy to just look at the offense because a bunch of those guys are so versatile on that side of the ball but there it really is there's a couple guys who could be very interesting prospects uh throughout this episode we're going to talk about a bunch of guys for the nba who kind of surprised during the tournament who has been solid throughout the season uh and kind of established themselves as this is why they've been so highly touted throughout the season in the tournament. They established that. We're also going to talk about who looks good for the Timberwolves. Uh, I kind of wanted to keep talking about DiVincenzo and kind of that vein of guys. Who surprised you this tournament that going in you didn't really think you'd consider as somebody you'd be you'd be really thinking about for the NBA after the tournament? Who really kind of caught you off guard? Um, let me think. I mean, I think one storyline that's been interesting is uh, – Zaire Smith on Texas Tech. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know if I was necessarily caught off guard because you know, I, I've been watching a lot of college all year, so it's like 
I had a feel for most of these teams coming in to where I, I don't know if I was ever like surprised, surprised that a guy was doing X, Y, Z, but he's a guy who I think, you know, I did not take as seriously. You know, I saw Texas Tech in the start of the season and, and I wasn't taking him as, as seriously as a prospect, but it, it seems like, you know, he's really done a lot to help himself. I think he's one kid who definitely benefited from the, the visibility of, you know, them going to the Elite Eight like they did. And, you know, I, I don't know. I mean, I, he could, you know, he's not a kid who can create a lot of his own offense yet. You know, he could be, you know, a total flash in the pan. Uh, but, again, it's like you see every year, these are the type of guys who, you know, if you have some level of mystery and you show enough, it's like you should probably go. It's like Hamadou Diallo is a good case. Like last year uh, in the draft, you know, Diallo he was at Kentucky, uh, you know, was working with the team, but not eligible to play until this year. So, uh, you know, he, he was a guy who could have probably been a first-round pick or a top-40 pick, gotten a guaranteed deal last year. Uh, now it's like, you know, it's the variance is much higher just based on him coming back and sort of showing sort of the holes in this game. You know, that's what Scott's always say is it's like, you know, the longer you stay around, the more ways they find to pick you up. You know, that's just sort of how it, once they figure you out, they figure you out. So, you know, there's something to be said for guys like that. Like, again, DiVincenzo will sort of now sort of slot into that category where, you know, if you can capitalize off of the level of, you know, unknown that some people have surrounding you, you know, you could end up making more money in the way. And I... I know I don't watch nearly as much college basketball as you have this season, but I I was aware of Zaire Smith, but I I was almost as cut off guard about kind of the buzz around him where I had a bunch of people uh, texting me and messaging me and talking about him going in the top 15 slots after a couple of those games. That really surprised me that he made that big of a jump. Uh, if you're kind of looking at just his performance, uh, the the wider performance of his season and how scouts will look at his overall uh, talent, not just looking at what he did in the tournament, he doesn't make that big of a jump, right? Yeah, I would not put him in the lottery. Like, I think that'd be a stretch. Um, I would like, you know, if someone did take him there, I'd probably be shocked. Like, mm-hmm. I, I, at least as it stands right now. Um, I mean, I don't, I, personally, I don't think he would have shown enough to, to do that, but I think, I think, uh, you know, 20 to 30 ish range, like, it could be a sensible, like, defensible choice. I think higher than that, personally, I'd be a little bit like, you know, what do they know that we don't in that situation, or do they know, right? But, um, you know, I think it's not out of the question that he could sneak in the first round. I would expect him to test it. You know, I don't think he's announced yet, but. Going along the line of surprises that the tournament had. As far as prospects, were you surprised that Trey, guys like Trey Young or Aiton weren't able to carry their team past the first round? Or was a team like Oklahoma suspect anyways in the tournament because of how dependent they are on those centerpieces? Um, in, in Trey's case, I was not shocked that just the team had sort of been trending down. Uh, it's not a, necessarily an indictment of him. It's just, you know, long season and you have defenses able to key on him like they do, and they did. You know, I think in conference play, you always see it every year. It's like, you know, you're playing teams twice. Uh, you know, there's more at stake. Uh, you know, they sort of have the book on you. They're going to try to, you know, get you different ways. And every game, you know, every every subsequent game, you know, is another opportunity for guys to scout you and sort of get a feel for, you know, how to stop you. So, you know, I think that was sort of part of it with him. I think he probably wore down a little bit. Um, and Rhode Island was a team. You know that had you know athletic guards who could kind of throw different looks. 
uh, that didn't necessarily shock me, and I, I don't necessarily think it's like in any, you know, I, I think with Trey, I think general public opinion has sort of regressed back to where it needed, or where it should be, right? Like, mm-hmm. I don't think, based on conversations I had with NBA guys, like, I don't think anyone ever really thought he was a top five pick. Like, I think that was more of a narrative, and, you, you know, when the guy's in your face every single night, and it's like ESPN has his stats in the bottom line, and it's like, you know, perception does get affected in that way. Uh, but I think, you know, sort of the middle eight lottery is fair to him, and I think, you know, based on what he did show this season, I think that, for me, I think he would be my top guard in the draft. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I and I guess going back to Aiton, I mean, man, that sucked. Like <laughs> watching that game, right? I mean, it's like it was it was frustrating. And like you know, we knew if you watch Arizona closely, like you knew that defensively they had issues all season. And I think part of it was Miller's Sean Miller's refusal to sort of adjust his system. Like he always insisted on playing the two big guys, and you know they got burned. And you know it's not. I wouldn't be like bashing Aiton too much for it because it's like a weakness that everyone knew he had knew he could get exposed and he did i was more frustrated honestly on the offensive end where it was like you know all season arizona has been able to beat guys because they can score more but it's like buffalo is gonna front you know you're like buffalo front deandre for 40 minutes and not give him the ball and lose that way it's like come on man like you know i don't want to be too harsh but like that was frustrating to watch and you know arizona all year just nearly never figured out how to throw an entry pass like you know i think raleigh alkins and he was probably the only guy on that team who was really ever getting in the ball where we know what he needed to. So, um, yeah, it was frustrating. I wasn't necessarily shocked, but I think that seeing Aiden dominate in the Pac-12 tournament the way he did probably uh, there's a little bit of reason to be biased in terms of like people who picked Arizona. You know, I had them in the final four, and mm-hmm. you know, me too. You know, <laughs> uh, we were all we yeah. all a little tricked. Yeah, but he, you know, I still think he's in the one pick. You know, he was our number one guy all year. Uh, yeah, I still feel pretty good about him overall. Well, and that's the thing I wanted to ask you next is uh, Aiden, I think, is still going to go number one. You have Simmons and Foltz. These guys didn't even play in the tournament. They're number one picks. Uh, when right. is kind of the general consensus on the fact that March Madness isn't a good prognosticator on who's going to go number one? going to kind of flip when is that script going to flip where people stop writing the articles uh the the general chatter around these guys when they get bounced or don't go to the tournament is well should they not be a number one pick when is that going to end uh i don't know if it is ever going to end um until people stop clicking on the headlines that said you know <laughs> is the under eight until the number one pick right people click on that so you know there's just sort of the nature of the media business right like i mean we try to avoid those types of things on our site but I think generally, I I think most people who cover the draft, like who do a good job, like the people who are really like locked in on it, I think would you know refrain from writing that. But you know, you still see things pop up for whatever reason. And but yeah, I mean, you're right. I mean, the truth the truth is, it's like you know, I think the tournament definitely does help certain guys, and if you play really well, you know, it can help, right? I mean, mm-hmm. like if Jaron Jackson, I mean, say for example, if Jaron Jackson had suddenly dominated and led Michigan State to national title, we'd probably be talking about him more as like. You know, maybe he has a chance. Like I don't, I still don't think he would be, but that would be, you know, a narrative you can construct, right? And you know, I don't think it'd be necessarily wrong to say that. But yeah, I, I think March is a time where it can help kids more than it can hurt them. If yeah. that makes sense, like yeah. No, yeah. the the narrative can definitely flip sour on people. It seems more often than it can it can help sweeten the deal for some players. Yeah, and on you know on TV you got people talking about X Y Z, and you know these shows are on TV are structured to. You know, debate topics, so someone has to, you know, sometimes argue. Uh, 
the contrapositive or whatever. So that's just exactly. Exactly. We're going to get right. to a quick break for some sponsors before we continue on the NBA draft prospect conversation. All right, let's flip or switch gears, excuse me, a little bit here. Who are some players that you absolutely love? Some guys that you have been excited about going into the season and you've been watching them all year and they've been getting better and better and they got into the tournament. And even if their team didn't do so well, they still were able to pull together a pretty solid performance and you are still high on these players. Who are the guys that you are sold out for going into the NBA draft? That's a tough question. Um, It's funny, like, I spend so much time, like, thinking about this every day. It's like, yeah, I try to not fall too much in love with guys. But, I mean, not to, like, harp on Villanova, but Jalen Brunson is a guy who, you know, I've always been super high on. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and I I think, you know, I, I saw him play a lot in high school. You know, he went to high school in the Chicago area uh, when I was, you know, doing a lot of, like, local area scouting and stuff. And, you know, i am always believed in Jalen, and I'm happy that, you know, he won the title. But, like, He's also a guy who I think is being undersold as a prospect a little bit just because he doesn't, like, check the athletic boxes, right? But, like, um, he does everything well. I mean, he's going to – he's a good team defender. You know, he's going to, you know, understand what you're asking him to do. Like, he's one of the smartest players I've really ever seen in terms of just college point guards, right? So, you know, he's a guy who I definitely, I think, unafraid to throw my, you know, co-sign behind or whatever. And mm-hmm. as a guy who I think is going to be really good. Um I guess the thing about guys who I, uh, I like a lot in March, I mean, you know, Jerome Robinson at Boston College, I didn't even make it in the tournament, but he's a guy who, you know, really had a good season and no one really talked about it. Um, but, you know, I think he's viewed as a guy who could be a, you know, mid to late, or sorry, late 20 to 30, maybe first rounder, probably top 40 pick, uh, just based on what he can do with the ball. Like, he's a guy who I like, for sure. Um, and uh, one guy who I was, DeAndre Hunter at Virginia, it sucked to see him get hurt, too. Um, yeah, that was I mean, such was, a bummer. Yeah, because, you know, I, I had really gotten my first good look at him at the ACC tournament. Um, and I like, you know, I really thought he uh, was impressive in terms of, you know, what he was able to do within the confines of his role in that system. Because, you know, the way Virginia plays is it's sort of like, you know, they're going to do the same thing every time. And if you're an individual talent, you got to figure out how to make it work in that system. So well, it's not the best, like, team fit for him, but. Stuff he can do athletically, defensively is really impressive. Uh, you know, I was coming around to him, was excited for him to sort of see him in the tournament, and then you know, so it goes. But uh, that's another guy. Um, and I, I think uh, more guy. I mean, Raleigh Athens at Arizona is a guy who I think I'm also probably higher on than most people. Um, just, you know, having watched him, another guy, the kid who I've watched since high school, who I, I think like it, it's funny because sometimes it's like when you sort of understood and seen a player for such a long time, you wonder if you're if you're biased or if you the information that you do have about a kid like makes you a more educated projector, right? Does that make sense? Like, maybe a little maybe bit of both. Maybe a little bit of both. Right. So that's always a conundrum I like ask myself when I'm trying to think critically about the draft. But you know, probably like he hurt his foot at the start of the season and I think probably didn't get enough of a break in terms of like you know, he wasn't always great defensively this season, but I think part of it probably is, you know, he just was not in hundred percent peak shape and it's like you know, no one likes to harp on injuries as excuses during the season. But basically, I think there's more he can show once he gets back sort of to more athletically where he was as a freshman. And he's still a good athlete. So, you know, that's another guy who I like. And going to back to Brunson, I really like how in the tournament 
he wasn't the primary guy scoring, and you saw Bridges not only in the tournament but a lot this season. Bridges kind of take that on, but you just see how he does a lot of the dirty stuff that kind of gets a team to a win that doesn't necessarily go on a stat sheet. Like he's energized in the first half of that Michigan game. You saw him energizing his team, uh, getting them back into the game, getting their offense back into a rhythm. And, and there was a he didn't have t- a ton of points or a ton of assists, but he had a couple key assists early in that or in the middle of that first half of the game that kind of got them jogged back into back into their offense that helped them gain a 22 point lead in the second half so he does those little things that I don't think people necessarily see as much in the stat sheet but I don't know if Villanova is the same team without him and I really like him going into the draft because I think he can do those things in the NBA as well I think that's something that translates 100% yeah I mean he's completely unselfish um you know is willing to you know do whatever it takes to win and you know that's been a constant with him you know throughout his career I've probably seen him play 30 to 40 times in various random <laughs> environments, right? So it's just like you uh-huh. get a feel for, you know, who a kid is and, you know, how, you know, how to make his dad play in the NBA. I mean, you know, he grew up, you know, in, you know, NBA gym, you know, when when Rick was coaching with the Bulls, right? So, you know, he's been exposed to that, you know, you're drafting and knowing what you're getting, you know, you're not going to have to worry about him off the court, you, you know, and I, you know, overall, I think it's a good, you know, I would take him in the late first round. I don't know if he will. I would, I would hope he's a top 40 pick. If he falls and he wear past that, he's going to be a good value for someone. But he'll play in the NBA for a long time. He's the kind of guy that the Warriors, like when the Warriors got Jordan Bell, where they basically bought a draft pick. Like he's the guy type of guy that ends up on the Warriors roster, and nobody really pays attention to him. And then thirty games in the season, he has like a really great six game stretch where the Warriors put him in just the right spot. That kind of thing, where people are like, how do they keep getting away with this as a front office? And it's just because they're scouting their team really well. Totally, totally. All right, we're going to go to another break here before we get into a conversation about the Timberwolves and who they should draft. Thank you very much. That is the end of part one of the conversation with Jeremy from Sports Illustrated on NBA prospects for the 2018 draft, talking about who surprised him, who he likes, who he doesn't like so much, who he's cooled on and who looks like a good fit for the Timberwolves. Part two is on tomorrow's episode. Again, part two with Jeremy on the NBA draft and prospects is on tomorrow's episode. That is part two. Thanks for tuning in. You are Locked On Timberwolves, your daily Minnesota Timberwolves podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network.